الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيتها النفس المطمئنة ارجعي إلى ربك راضية مرضية سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصيفون وسلام على المنصرين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Picking up where we left off yesterday when we had introduced the concept of the soul which is the ruh and we highlighted how Allah Ta'ala references it in the Quran and says we know little about it but from what we do know about it it is from Allah Ta'ala's command and it is our, it is distinct from our physical bodies and we highlighted how when the soul is ignited then it becomes very passionate about deen a very pa- and very passionate about pleasing Allah Ta'ala and if we desire to become passionate about our deen then the soul is what we must target we talked about how an uplifted soul or a nourished soul is one that is obedient to Allah and a soul that's deprived of its nourishment is weak, it's feeble it becomes disobedient toward Allah and if that deprivation persists then the soul can eventually die, spiritually pass away and that's when a person leaves Iman and on the contrary when a soul is nourished with those things that can nourish it then that soul grows and it becomes obedient to Allah and we highlighted that the things that nourish the soul are those things that are considered heavenly the soul cannot be nourished by things of this world it can only be nourished by things that are heavenly because the soul itself is heavenly it predates even this world our souls predate this world so its nourishment is going to come from things that are from before this world that includes the Quran, that includes the dhikr of Allah, that includes many other things that inshallah will cover. So that, is a, that was a brief summary of what we covered yesterday. Now, assuming we understand this, and if, this, if, there's a, if there is some clarification needed, you should ask. But assuming we understand this, the next thing to understand is what, is, what are the main hindrances to the soul? What are the main hindrances to the soul? What, is, what blocks the soul from its progression? We, we briefly introduced what allows the soul to nourish itself, but we, we, and now today we'll talk about what is it that actually prevents the soul from growing. And there are two main things. Two main things that disrupt the progression of the soul, and we have to be aware of it. Those two main things, number one, is obvious to us, and that's shaitan. That's shaitan. In fact, the purpose of shaitan is to derail and disrupt us. That's his goal. Now, shaitan works in multiple ways. Number one, it tricks the believer into thinking that what they're doing is right when in fact they're doing something wrong. That's one way that it disrupts us and it derails us. Sometimes we think that some deed that we're performing is actually pleasing to Allah when in reality we're doing it to please and show others that becomes an action that is displeasing to Allah. Shaitan has a field day with it, and he allows you to continue in that deed. So sometimes it occurs by changing the intention of the person. Sometimes it 
occurs by manipulating the deed itself. So shaitan will encourage you to engage in a bid'ah. And you're thinking that you're doing something right when in reality you're actually destined for failure. That's one way. So that's one idea. The shaitan tricks us. Shaitan, another way shaitan functions is that he distracts us from what's actually relevant. He highlights to us how comfortable this world is, which is irrelevant. And he prevents us from focusing on the hereafter, which is completely relevant. So anytime you find yourself focused on this world and the comforts of this world at the expense of the reality of the hereafter, recognize that shaitan is the driving force behind this. Okay, what else does shaitan do? Shaitan, after derailing us, disrupting us, distracting us, manipulating us, and deceiving us, he doesn't just do it in this world and then disappear and leave you to yourself in the hereafter. He'll actually come and he'll laugh at you in the hereafter. He'll have the last laugh. It isn't that he just gets away, you know, and just disappears and doesn't, doesn't address you later. It comes in the Quran. That shaitan will say at the time of Amr, and Amr is the time of command. So basically, you know, when death comes to you. He'll say, That verily Allah Ta'ala has promised to you, which was that if you worship me and you're, you're subservient to me, then I will reward you. So shaitan will say in the hereafter that verily the promise of Allah, the, 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 the wa'da of Allah Ta'ala was true. Wa'da al-haqq. Wa wa'adtukum. And I made you a promise as well. Right? I made you a promise as well. Fa'akhlaftukum. And I deceived you. So he comes back after he deceives you in this world. And after you pass away, he'll say, I got you. You know, who has a last laugh now? Shaitan. Because he will, he will endorse his deception. Right? And so this is shaitan. This is the worst. This is our true enemy. You know, someone that kicks you when you're already down. You recognize that you, you were a failure in life, right, in the hereafter when you're in a state of regret. And then rather than, uh, you know, just be by yourself at that moment, shaitan comes and laughs at you and said, I got you. You should have listened to Allah all along. What were you thinking? Okay, so that's the first disruptor when it comes to growing the soul in shaitan's Purpose is to prevent your soul from developing itself. Okay, the other uh, mechanism, sorry, the other hindrance to the soul is the nafs. Is the nafs. Now, the nafs is something that we poorly understand. Poorly understand in the sense of Allah Ta'ala has referenced it in the Quran many times, but we as human beings, we think that my only enemy is shaitan, and that's it. But then there's this whole other component, and that's the nafs. And the nafs is your internal, carnal, animalistic desires. Some people would call it the ego. Those things that drive you toward evil, even in the absence of shaitan. So many a times a question comes up. Actually, one brother was asking me earlier today that, well, if shayateen are locked up during the month of Ramadan, then why is it that I'm still involving myself in sin? Or why is it that there's still so much corruption in the world? Or why is it that there's so, still so much deception that's around? Shaitan's not deceiving anyone. And one main explanation for this is that, sure, shaitan's locked up and he's not able to disrupt or disrail, derail any of you. But he spent the entire year training your nafs. Your nafs is not locked up during Ramadan. Your nafs is actually what's causing all of this to occur. And every human being has a nafs. And obviously, shaitan's been training the nafus of people all across the world. So there's still going to be evil in the world even in the month of Ramadan. So the nafs is that base carnal animalistic desire, the desire to do things that please the human being and in particular the physical body. So what are those things? Now, everyone has a nafs. Um, 
And it, it, you could say sort of the ego. Now Allah Ta'ala talks about the nafs in three different ways in the Qur'an. The first type of nafs that he references is the nafsul ammara. Inna nafsa la'ammaratun bisu. It comes in the Qur'an. And he says this is the type of nafs which is the internal, you guys said, the internal focal point of our physical body that desires attention. That in the nafs some people have, so you can fall into one of three categories when it comes to your nafs. And you can pay attention to these three subtypes and determine where your nafs falls and recognize that a nafs that's out of control is what's disrupting my progression in terms of my soul. So the first type of nafs that Allah Ta'ala references in the Qur'an in inna nafsa la'ammaratun bisu' is that nafs that hastens toward evil. It's that nafs that loves and thrives upon evil and sinning against Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. It gives into whatever the body wants. That's a nafs al-ammara. Gives into whatever the body wants. Now what does the body desire? It desires clothing, it desires food, it desires attention, it desires pleasure, physical pleasure. A nafs al-ammara is that nafs that a person has and that per- the individual gives into everything that the nafs wants. You know, the nafs sees something at the store that looks really nice, a purse that's $400, the nafs says, I just have to have it. The nafs purchases it. The nafs sees food, you know, that really wants to eat and it eats and it eats and it eats. The nafs loves to eat. The nafs... Um, he browses the internet for hours and hours and hours without fail. And in fact, the nafs loves to look at things that are inappropriate. So a couple of clicks, the nafs decides that, you know what, I'm going to fulfill my desire. And then you get caught up in that trap. So the nafs is that base desire that encourages you towards sin. And nafs al-ammara is that nafs in particular that you have absolutely no control over. And one of the major uh, tests in today's day and age when it comes to the nafs is the phone, the cell phone. You know, a, a nafs that's not in control loves to check their phone, a, a phone, the cell phone. How many times in an hour do we check our phones, right? We don't even, it doesn't buzz, it doesn't call us, but we just check it to see, did someone message me? This, did someone message, did someone email me? Did someone call me? You know, is there someone that's thinking about me right now? That's the nafs. Nafs al-ammara is that nafs that's completely subservient to the things of this world. Right? The nafs al-ammara, that nafs is, it desires the attention of people. This is why, you know, it's very prevalent in today's day and age. That, okay, you know, the nafs, the nafs craves the attention of people. How many followers do I have on Facebook? Right? You're constantly checking. Oh, look, so-and-so followed me on Twitter. Right? Now I have 60 followers. Now I have 80 followers. This is, these are features of the nafs. The nafs is what cares about this. The soul doesn't care. The nafs is what cares about who's following me, who's watching me, who's paying attention to me. Because it feeds the nafs. The attention of people feeds the nafs. The soul doesn't care about the attention of people. It cares about the attention of Allah. So, the nafs loves, in today's day and age, the nafs absolutely loves the cell phone. And so we have to be very mindful of this. If, there, if we are someone who constantly checks our phone, we constantly see who's messaging us, we want to know who's following us, we want to know how many likes we have, etc., and that's a feature of the nafs, and that's a sign that our nafs is, is we're subservient to our nafs, we're dependent upon our nafs, and the nafs is essentially dictating us. Now, nafsul ammara basu, a person that has a nafsul ammara that loves engaging in these sorts of things, shaitan gets to relax because the nafs is doing all the work for it. Okay? So, the second type of nafs is in the Quran, nafsul lawama. Allah Ta'ala mentions this type of nafs in the Qur'an. And this is enough that sort of teethers between here and there. 
It's not a nafs that totally is involved in sin and engaged in sin, but it's that nafs that when it does fall, when it does fall short, when it does make a mistake, it feels guilty, it feels bad, it has some remorse and some regret, and it turns back to Allah. But then it re- repeatedly involves himself in that sin. That's nafsul lawama. You're neither, neither here nor there. You know, you are at times subservient to Allah, and at times you're subservient to yourself. So this is the second type of nafs that Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an. And many of us perhaps fall into this category. And then the last type of nafs that Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an is nafsul mutma'inna. This is that nafs that is content and is fully subservient to Allah Ta'ala's commandments. Meaning, so the nafs by default, like I mentioned, it's like the ego of the person. It desires attention of people. It wants to be fed. It wants to eat. It wants to sleep. It wants to reproduce, right, uh, in an... In an uh, 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 in an, um, you could say it wants to reproduce in a manner that's uh, not conducive to our deen, right? This is what the nafs loves. So a nafs that's out of control is nafsul amara bisu. A nafs that you kind of have control over. The reins are sort of in your control, but sometimes you fail. Sometimes you try, you fail, you try, you you fail. That's nafsul lawama. You're kind of here and there. And then nafsul mutmainna is that nafs where you have control over. You have control over. It, you know what? You, there's food that you want to eat, but you can say, you know what? I'm going to hold off. You know, you're on the internet. You know what? I don't need to click that. You know, you're, uh, you have a cell phone. You say, you know what? I don't need to check it right now. This is the ability of a person who has control over their nafs. And this is nafsul mutma'inna. Nafsul mutma'inna is under your control. You say, you know what? Right now, I want to pray to please my Lord. I'm going to go ahead and pray. And nothing can stop me. You know, I want to recite Quran. I'm going to recite Quran. You know, all of those, normally, normally, for, for most of us, we decide, you know what, I want to read Qur'an right now. We have a million reasons why we can't read it. Because our nafs is telling us, no. You know, you got something more important to do. You have children, you have kids, you have a family, you have, you know, whatever, the NBA finals, you have uh, your relationships, you have work, you're a busy person. This is your nafs talking to you, right? But nafsul mutma'inna, you can suppress all of those thoughts that come from the nafs and say, you know what, if I want to please my Lord, I'll please my Lord. Now, nafsul mutma'inna, and I'll allude to this in a, in a couple of minutes, nafsul mutma'inna, interestingly, this is the nafs that at one point in our, in the year, we experience nafsul mutma'inna, some of us. And that's in the end of Ramadan. And I'll highlight this in a minute. Okay, so let's step back now. Let's put things together. We said that the human being is composed of two parts. There is the soul, and then there's the body. There's the soul and the body. And we mentioned the soul is nourished by things that are heavenly, the body is nourished by things of this world, and at the core of the body is the nafs. So those things that feed the nafs essentially are feeding the body. So things like food, things like drink, things like excessive sleep, things like, like I mentioned, you know, interacting inappropriately with the opposite gender, etc. These things feed the nafs, and in particular, attention-seeking. Even for that matter, um, you could say uh, imposing your will on other people, right? thinking that you're somebody, having an ego, these are all things that feed the body. So the soul and the body, they coexist together. The soul is inside the body. The core of the soul is the heart, and the heart desires to be nourished so that it can be subservient to Allah. And the nafs, on the other hand, the core of which is the body, it loves everything from this world, and it loves instant gratification. I think that's the best way to think about it. The nafs loves instant gratification. It wants to be pleased right here, right now. That's what the nafs wants. You know, the, we all want pleasure, right? 
But someone who has control of their nafs says that, you know what, you relax right now, I'm going to receive all of that pleasure in the hereafter. I just have to wait a few years, and then I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But a, nafs, a person whose nafs is out of control, the nafs says, you know, I want it right here, and I want it right now. I want to eat whatever I want to eat. I want to look at whatever I want to look at. I want to listen to whatever I want to listen to. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. That's enough that's out of control. I'm going to do it now. I'm not waiting till the hereafter. That's the main difference. Okay, so you have the soul. You have the uh, body, right? These two things are both part and parcel of each other. They are distinct from each other, but they're together, and we possess both of them. So... What's important is that the soul and the body must be in balance with one another. The soul and the body must be in balance with one another. Most of us, we suffer from an imbalance of the soul and the body. We're so used to giving in to whatever the nafs wants, whatever the body wants, that we instantly gratify the nafs. We want to eat something, we're going to eat it right away. We want to look at something, we're going to look at it right away. Even if we know it's wrong, or even if we know it's right, but it's something that we could wait for, we're not going to wait. You know, the, this is the this is the nafs. So, most of us we tend to feed the body and we neglect the soul. We tend to feed the body, we neglect the soul, and the effect of that is that there is no desire, there is no passion for Deen in our hearts. The opposite of that is a person who decides that you know what I need to feed my soul, and I need to compress my body. The effect of that is a desire to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a desire to progress in our deed. Okay? So let's, make, let's take a practical example. Ramadan. Ramadan is the perfect example because it's a 30-day trial period that Allah ta'ala says that, you know what? You know, you are going to better understand the soul and better understand the nafs over these 30 days. So what I'm going to do for these 30 days is I'm going to require you to do a few things that suppress your body and I'm going to require you to do a few things that feed the soul. And I want you to see the effects of it on day 22 of Ramadan or day 23 of Ramadan. So what happens in Ramadan? It's this 30-day trial period where Allah Ta'ala says, okay, you have to do a few things that are going to feed the soul. Number one, what do we have to do? We're, we're essentially instructed to the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu and the Sahaba that you have to pray at night an additional 20 rakah of prayer. We would never think about doing this outside of Ramadan don't raise your hand, but ask yourself, did I pray 20 raka'ah extra nawafil prayer any night outside of Ramadan this year? No one. I mean, if, if I was to say, did you do 8 raka'ah, most of us wouldn't be able to raise our hand. Right? None of us would do. But Allah Ta'ala says, okay, so this Ramadan, you're going you're gonna to spend extra 20 raka'ah of prayer, you're going to have to pray. So you're going to uplift the soul, because prayer uplifts the soul. Okay, Allah Ta'ala, uh, uh, through the Prophet Sallallahu we know that recitation of the Qur'an is encouraged. Many people... Uh, make it a goal that they're going to finish one khatm al-Qur'an during the month of Ramadan. What does recitation of the Qur'an do? Does it feed the body or the soul? The soul. The, full, the soul is elevated with recitation of the Qur'an. So Allah Ta'ala says, okay, you're going to pray more, you're going to recite more Qur'an, and inevitably, this is going to require you to come to the masjid more. And so coming and sitting in Allah Ta'ala's house, even if we do absolutely nothing, this is a place of barakah, where Allah's nur descends on the heart. What is it feeding, the body or the soul? The soul is being uplifted. So Allah Ta'ala forces us during the month of Ramadan to feed our soul. Okay, on the flip side, He forces us to do what to our bodies? Suppress it. So what happens? For 30 days, you will have to suppress your desire to eat. For 30 days, you'll have to suppress your desire to eat. Now, eating during the daytime, throughout the rest of the year, it's not impermissible. 
we're allowed to eat as much as we, we're allowed to eat during the rest of the year. Something that's permissible, Allah Ta'ala says, okay, you know what, even though it's permissible, we're now going to make it impermissible for you to do. You know, it's not like he's saying that, okay, don't eat haram food during the month of Ramadan. You can eat as much as you want, just make sure it's halal. No, he says even those things that are permissible, you're not allowed to consume from dawn until sunset. So for 16, 17 hours, you starve, your, you starve yourself. Literally, you starve yourself. So you're suppressing the body because the body loves to eat. Now think about it, outside of Ramadan, if you desire, if you're thirsty, what do you do? You drink water. Nobody says, I'm thirsty, but you know what? I'm going to wait an hour just for the heck of it. I'm just, why do I need to drink water right now? Nobody would think of that. In Ramadan, you're thirsty, what do you do? Oh well, I'm going to wait. You, just, you have to wait. So what is it? You're suppressing your body. So that's number one. You're fasting. Uh, number two, there's many, there's many, there's many ways Allah Ta'ala designed Ramadan so that you have to suppress the body. So number one is through fasting. Number two is through marital relations. Now, outside of the month of Ramadan, it's totally permissible to, to interact with your spouse in that way. Right? There's no impermissibility here. It's not like Allah Ta'ala says, during the month of Ramadan, you, can, you are no longer allowed to have relations with someone other than your spouse. You know, the rest of the, you know, so just focus on that. No. Allah Ta'ala says that even that permissible action you cannot do from morning until evening, you're restricted from this for 17 hours. So now, your body is suppressed because one of the features of the nafs and the body is the desire to reproduce. So suppress that. So we've suppressed food, we've suppressed drink, we've suppressed our, um, uh, our desires. Okay, what else? We know that during the month of Ramadan, the Prophet Sallallahu it said about him that he was very generous at baseline. In the month of Ramadan, he was even more generous. He used to give his wealth. Most of us give our wealth, sadaqah, zakat, etc., charity during the month of Ramadan. Now, the nafs hates to spend on other people. The nafs loves to spend on yourself. The nafs loves to go to the mall and spend $1,000 and go on a shopping spree. The nafs loves to go you know, online and search for the dream car that you can have. The nafs desires that you spend all this money so that you can decorate your own house. But in Ramadan, we're told, you know what, that your wealth, put it, it's not for you this month. Give it to someone else. Give it to something else. The nafs hates this. But during the month of Ramadan, we do it. So we hold back from water, drink, hold back from marital relations. We even control where our wealth is going to go, suppressing the nafs. And then on top of that, the factor that probably is the most difficult for most of us, more than eating, more than drinking during the month of Ramadan, is sleep. How much do we sleep in Ramadan? I mean, ask anyone, especially these days. I mean, if you can get two hours consecutively of sleep, then that's a, that would be a, that's a, dream, a dream come true. Some of us are sleeping four or five hours, especially if you work. Four, five, maybe six hours most you're able to get at night. The rest of the year, you sleep as much as you want to sleep. You want to sleep at 8 o'clock, you go to sleep at 8 o'clock. You want to wake up at 9 o'clock, you go ahead and wake up. At most, you know, you may have to restrict your sleep a little bit. But in Ramadan, you're, it's 12.45 in the morning right now. And some of you are planning to go to work in about four hours. Right? You're doing it. You're suppressing sleep. And the body, the nafs, loves to sleep. It loves to sleep. And you're forcing your body to say, you know what, no, I'm not going to sleep right now. So what if I have to go to work in, in three hours? So what if I have to school school in five hours? So what if I have a final exam in six hours? I'm going to sacrifice. So the body is being suppressed. The soul is being elevated. The body is being suppressed. And this is Allah's design, not a design that you and I created. The effect of this design is what? That toward the end of Ramadan, after this 20 or 22 days of trying out this method that Allah Ta'ala divinely decreed himself, for this 
uncounted limited period of time, we feel the effects of it. That today, finally, we think that, you know what, I kind of enjoy being a Muslim. It's kind of nice being able to worship Allah. I actually enjoy being in the masjid. You know, I, I kind of like reciting Qur'an. You know, I, um, I actually like praying salah in congregation. I, I'm actually making dua to my Lord. Now I know, finally, what it means like to have a passion for deen in my heart. This is the effect. The most passionate people are about deen and about Allah throughout the year usually is toward the end of Ramadan. We're experiencing it now. And the reason is because of the simple formula that was designed by Allah. That is that in order for us to progress spiritually and for us to have a passion for deen in our heart, number one, we have to elevate our soul from, with those things that are heavenly. And number two, we have to, to some degree, suppress the body from the cravings that it always desires. And the result of that is that you'll benefit. Now, this isn't Ramadan. Allah Ta'ala designed it this way. But the reality is that if we want to maintain this passion in our hearts throughout the year, then to some degree, we have to elevate our soul. And to some degree, we have to suppress our nafs and our body. This is the formula to success in life. This is the formula to success in life. Now, so most of so I mentioned in the beginning that there has to be a balance. It isn't that we only feed the soul and we neglect the body because that has harms as well. The reason we highlight the soul, elevating the soul and suppressing the body is because most of us have it the opposite. Our bodies are elevated and our souls are not. Now a select few people have the opposite problem. They're too busy engaged in you know Quran and Salah that they're neglecting their bodies. But that's such a rarity. That doesn't happen often. You know we see example once at the time of the Prophet saw there was a companion. His name was Abdullah bin Amr bin Al-Asr anhu. He was a very elite companion of the Sahab, of, uh, amongst the Sahaba. He was so devout in his worship of Allah Ta'ala that there was a time in his life where every single day he would recite one khatm of the Qur'an. Every single day. Not in Ramadan. Outside Ramadan too. Every day one khatm al-Qur'an he would recite. And he would fast every day. Every day he would fast. And we know the Sunnah is Mondays and Thursdays. And at... The most a person can fast really is a fast of Dawood, which is every other day. But he fasted every single day because he was that, uh, that because he desired Allah Taala to that degree. So he did one khatam every day. He would fast every single day, and he would pray throughout the entire night. Now, this is tremendous elevation of the body uh, of the soul, and essentially no nafs whatsoever. But that, but but there's restriction in Deen that you can't just completely ignore the body. In fact, the family of Abdullah bin Amr complained. You know, and the Prophet ﷺ heard word of this, that, you know, he just, he prays all night, he reads Qur'an all day, he, gives, he doesn't give himself any attention, he doesn't give us any attention. So the Prophet ﷺ had to restrict his soul and said, look, you can't, you can't go to that degree. So from now on, you can only do one khatm al-Qur'an every three days, you can only fast every other day, but no more than that. And you, have, you can pray for part of the night, and for, the, for part of the night you can't pray. You have to give time to your family and for sleep. So this is the process of setting things in balance, but this tends to be rare. The vast majority of us are driven by our nafs, and we've completely neglected our soul. And as a result, there's very little passion for deen in our hearts. So if we desire for Allah, for the passion of deen to enter into our own hearts, and we want to maintain this throughout the year, then remember this formula. That is, that there has to be some suppression of the nafs, which is at the core of the body. Those carnal, animalistic, ego-type desires that we have as human beings, those need to be suppressed. And the soul needs to be elevated at some consistent, uh, on, on, on a consistent basis. This combination is pleasurable. We enjoy it. 
we feel this passion in our heart, we, our soul is being attended to, and the nafs falls into our control. That's nafsul mutma'inna. The nafs becomes under our control, and that's nafsul mutma'inna. So this formula works outside of Ramadan, and inshallah, I keep alluding to it, saying that we're going to begin talking about those things that basically are the oxygen or the nourishment for the soul. Inshallah, now that we've understood these principles, we'll actually be able to move on, inshallah, tomorrow uh, into specific things that we must engage ourselves in at some consistent interval so that we may benefit uh, ourselves and maintain this passion for deen in our hearts and uplift our souls. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for all of our mistakes and allow us to benefit from gatherings like these. May Allah ta'ala keep us attached to his home and grant us the tawfiq to remain in his house during these last 10 days of Ramadan. And may Allah ta'ala uh, allow us to benefit from this Ramadan more than we benefited from any prior Ramadan. Wa akhra da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.